0: Take up your podium and walk. That's what I've done. Well, it's almost spring. I keep telling myself that. This morning was a nice day. I walked outside without a coat, and I was freezing and reminded that it's not quite here, but it's coming, right? Just like Easter was supposed to be coming, and suddenly it's here next week. It's just unbelievable. Life goes so fast. We're in Romans chapter 13 this morning. I wanted to finish this prelude to uh, Paul's writing to us in Romans 14. And we'll do that uh, in a couple of weeks, in three weeks actually. So uh, we'll get to Romans 14, but we're going to take a break after today. This is our last prelude to that text and again, I wanted to just remind us that these are precepts that he's written to us from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way through chapter 13, preparing us, uh, setting down the tone of who we are as Christians, so that when we come to uh, all the idiosyncrasies, all the weird, strange differences of believers, and so on, we'll be able to sort through that and how to process that, so that, like Steve, you'll like our church after a while. <laughs> just. Just got to hang around, get through the precepts. (laughs) So we hope that works out. If you're visiting today, we hope you stick around a while yet. I think it gets better. That's what I've heard. Uh, In coming to, uh, uh, in approaching chapter 13, he's already hit on so many things that are personal to us, putting Christ first in our lives, uh, allowing him to be that uh, allowing us to be that living sacrifice to the Lord on a daily basis. Uh, guarding ourselves from being conformed or shaped by the world. So we have that in the text in chapter 12. Obviously to think soberly. Uh, you know, be uh, be aware of that. Obviously to uh, have the sense of being members of one another. Uh, then he says down in verse 9, Abhor what is evil. Learn to hate the things in your life that you know are Are those things that infect our love, so that you know our love is often? He says, "Let love be without hypocrisy." And the thing that attacks our our love is obviously the evil that still lingers in our hearts and minds. And oftentimes we lose control of. He says, "Cling to what is good. Don't hang on to those evil things. Learn to identify them and hate them. Be kindly affectionate." Verse ten, giving preference to one another. Verse eleven, serving the Lord. Uh, Verse 13, given to hospitality. We talked about that last week. Uh, Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Uh, 16, do not set your mind on high things. Uh, Verse 18, live peaceably with all men. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All of these, and we, I've said, and I really honestly truly want to uh, uh, emphasize this and remind you of this, that all these are not like you know, a set of do lists that we do. These are defining who we're supposed to be. Precepts are who you are. It's not like I list these things off. This is who we should be in Christ. And And I want to say that you can't even function in any of these if verse 1 is not something you're practicing on a daily basis. With that said, you come to chapter 13, and it gets tougher as it goes through this list of things that we should be. And here we step on some areas where we could find some real differences. We've, we've had a civil war over these differences. We know what it is to disagree on some level where we just can't find any sense of peace or unity oftentimes and so he says let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God therefore whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, and customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, obviously, the next precept, I'm calling this number 14, is that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. And I think we're mature enough, most of us in this room, we're mature enough to know that our obedience is always first and foremost to our Lord God, right? I mean, that's, that's going to be there. Anything that demands compromise to his will must be uh, not allowed in our lives. We cannot allow that. So Paul is not suggesting here, I don't think, that uh, believers will willingly comply with law-breaking, murderous scoundrels who have power over us. I don't think that's what he's saying. Although we know Rome has its cruelties. But basically we also know from history Roman law was for the most part uh, logical and sometimes even fair. There was a court system that attempted to mete out justice. We know it didn't happen quite that way with Jesus. But we also know there were times when uh, the Roman court taught us uh, the laws we have today are based on many of the things we've learned from them. And so I want to say this morning, where the law can be followed with a clear moral conscience, we must obey. Alright? If the law, however, stipulates that believers are not to ever proselytize, or were never to witness in any public place, we might join with the apostles. We might actually still witness, regardless of that law, but but we must also be prepared then and willing to pay the price. Are you hearing me? Uh, years ago, I, I've told you this story, but uh, just as a reminder to me, I, I took a bunch of students uh, from Lynchburg, uh, Virginia, into Pennsylvania. We were in uh, we were here in Pittsburgh and uh, Uh, The pastor of the church was having a deal and we were the featured crowd that night. So a big concert thing. And so uh, we're in town for the Saturday before the Sunday. And he said, let's go visiting. So we took our crowd and canvassed through with some handouts. And uh, the pastor said, if you get a chance to talk about Jesus or the gospel, do it. So we went house to house and we got arrested and we got taken down to the police station. And I had all these students with me calling their mom and dads crying that they got arrested, got busted for Jesus. Some of them were arrogant and cocky about it, kind of like, you know, I think they think that that's sort of like a bravo, uh, we suffer for Jesus kind of thing. But uh, some of them were excited to see the jail, had never been in a jail before. And so, uh, you know, uh, eventually the pastor and myself... uh, talked the policemen into the fact that we didn't know there was an ordinance in that neighborhood. Uh, so sorry about that. Uh, we, we, we love Jesus Christ, want to talk about him, but if we're not allowed to, uh, okay, we won't do it again. And they let us go. Then we did our concert. Uh, sometimes uh, we have to decide about these things, but I wanted you to see, we're going to have a text here. I want you to go to Acts 5 because uh, Jesus and the whole gospel story is fresh on their hearts, These people are so wrapped up and and excited about the word of God and and, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved them. And he's risen from the dead. They can hardly contain that uh, news. They want to share uh, Jesus Christ with everyone. And so uh, there's uh, sort of the lead into this in verse 12. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Uh, verse fourteen says, "And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women." So there's this huge, growing uh, uh, congregation, if you will, of believers. Uh, verse sixteen: The multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, and and you, so you have this just throng coming and bringing sick people and having this amazing time of uh, healings and and just praising God. Verse 17 comes along. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent them to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. That when the high priest, the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Well, then the captain went with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, uh, they sent them before the council and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses in these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, that's the answer that they gave, and it's an appropriate answer. Of course, this is a Jewish jail. This is not a secular jail. These are Jewish religious leaders. This is not Rome. And so, uh, you know, the restriction here obviously is religious. Uh, It's it's jealousy. It's it's not that these are laws on the books. Uh, these are in the moment laws being uh, conveyed uh, because of the issue and because of the anger and so on. And so, uh, you know, there's a they're, they're not really breaking a law. They're simply violating someone's uh, control. And that's a whole nother issue. So when I use this as an example, I'm not saying, uh, you know, Rome, Rome wonderfully, uh, until later, uh, Rome did not restrict people from talking about Jesus in the streets. Rome didn't care. Uh, and only until uh, later on when the Christians were blamed for something, did Rome ever rise up and care about Christianity, really. And so, you know, you you uh, have to understand from even from this. And then I wanted to jump uh, just uh, beyond this in the same context and uh, just just show you again from this text, and starting at verse 40, uh, you'll notice uh, he says, and they agreed with him uh, when they had, uh, these guys came, uh, they wanted to let them go and they just basically warned them not to preach in Jesus' name. Verse 40, and they agreed with him and when they had called for the uh, apostles, they had this counsel together and so what do we do with these guys? They called them together and verse 40 says, they beat them. Then they commanded them again not to speak in the name of Jesus and to let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ." So they've preached in his name. They got arrested. They went back out and did right back to the same place because the Lord Jesus knows this is not breaking the law. So they are preaching again. They're put back in jail again. They're confronted. And then they're beaten and told not to do this again. And then they go out and continue to do it anyway. And God just continues to bless them as a result. And I wanted to just remind us that when authorities dictate any kind of law to us that contradicts God's moral laws, and, and if that's going to happen to us, we will hopefully choose to follow our Lord God. And yet also be willing to accept the consequences as the world around us determines the outcome. You know, placing ourselves in the mercy of God is what we're called to do and to then obviously obey both God and obviously put ourselves under the authority as it comes back and decides to uh, do something with us. I think that that's an important thing to say. God never said there would be not be repercussions to witnessing for him. He's never said that. God's never uh, told us that there wouldn't be consequences for witnessing his name or sharing his name. Just saying his name out loud in a locker room can get you into a a pretty much of a, a trial with those around you who Uh, know and figure out who you are and don't agree with you. Just saying his name in the hallway at school is going to identify you and mark you and you're going to find reaction to that. Saying his name in a university classroom is going to identify you and there's going to be uh, repercussions from doing that. That's just the fact. I know that uh, there have been times when different men I've even had my shot at this, where I've been told, uh, when you pray, do not say the name of Jesus. I've been told, I, I prayed for the uh, s- a civil meeting uh, in in uh, in uh, Indiana, I was there as a guest speaker to the, it was a completely secular crowd, it wasn't a religious uh, 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 deal at all, and so I had all kinds of people there from the government, and I uh, uh, made an address, and then I prayed. I was not feeling well that night, and I was in a mood, I just didn't care, and I prayed what I felt like praying, and I prayed in Jesus' name, and I still got the check. <clears throat> I, I, I just realized that you can't always just obey somebody who doesn't want to hear something. And you have to decide what you're going to do, and I did what I did, and I thought, well, if they don't send me a check, I really don't care. I do want to uh, elevate Jesus Christ to some level here where he's not being allowed to be spoken of. There are times when you're going to decide whether you have to uh, step out of and away from government control in our lives. But I want to remind us when Jesus said this in John 15, because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, we have to know that all the time, and sometimes we forget that. That's why when we go back to verse 2 of chapter 12, don't be conformed or shaped by the world because this world hates you. So it never has good for you. Uh, in John 16, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So you know there's going to be a tribulation. There are those who uh, come along in our life, and I think this is a brewing thing. I just think it's brewing up again. I'm concerned about it. There's going to be challenges, more and more challenges to... Uh, the authority of our nation. We're just seeing uh, rebellious towns and cities that are saying, we're not going to obey the government's laws. Uh, we're not, uh, not going to follow Trump's uh, uh, leadership. We're, we're, there's this rebellion that's surging underneath the surface. You can just sense our country is about to explode with something. Young people are starting to voice uh, disagreement, and they're being uh, uh, propelled by adults to get up and speak because no one's going to fight with a young person. And you can just sense this thing brewing in our nation right now. And I just want to remind all of us as believers in Christ that when Paul writes this to us, there is a sense in which I must say, wait, God ordained government. God's placed us under government. And the call from uh, Paul in this text is that we then obey that government which has been placed over us because it's not the the government itself, it's God himself who put that government there. And you know what? I don't like certain things about our, there's a lot of things I don't like about our government. I must say that. And we see corruption on both sides. We see the contamination of a world in sin. There's never going to be a perfect government as long as I'm alive in my world. But I have to make decisions about how I react to it and respond to it. And fighting against the government, though we have already had a history of that, is not a simple thing to do. And we must be very cautious about that. I just thought I needed to say that. The Second Amendment thing and the whole gun thing... All that's going on here, many of you have guns. Uh, I'm just going to say to you that those guns are for your protection. That's great. Uh, use them for that purpose. But our guns were not meant to go after the government. But that's happening. And I think it's something we should be praying about. So he says, obey the government, be subject, put yourself under it. Even Jesus had to put himself under it. The second thing is over in verse eight. Look at verse eight. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are all summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I have a commentary that just, you know, went all over the first Three words. This guy was way more concerned about owing people than he was about what the text is talking about. This is not a financial text. When it says, oh, no, one anything, that's not the point of the text. So stop taking these things out of context and try to sell me on something. All right. Some of you who are money people, I love you, but be careful what you draw out of context to prove a point. That's not what he's saying. I'm saying that because this commentary uh, verifies to me that many people take these things wrong and build a big case about something. What Paul's saying is this. If you're going to owe anything, the primary thing you ever owe anyone is to love them. That's what he's saying. Now, that's hard enough, just saying that. But obviously, we need to understand the tone and put this into practice. And this is a tough one, I think, for all of us. You know, if you're a younger person or if you're uh, some older folks, so this is a, a general statement, but it encompasses most of you younger and some of you older, including me. Okay, We tend to be borrowers. And when I say that, I'm just saying that it's not unusual to have uh, a personal loan extended to you or uh, you've gone and gotten some kind of a loan for something. Many of you pay rent. Uh, many of you borrow personal items. Some of you borrowed tools. I have in my garage right now a bucket of tools from John and Joel. They come back tonight, and I must get those back before next week, or I'm going to be mud in John's eyes. I've had them for a long time. We need to return the things we have. We need to pay back the things we have. But what happens in so many cases is people don't pay back, people don't return, and we become slothful, we become forgotten uh, about these issues. We eventually, uh, we intentionally sometimes put off paying someone back, uh, all this kind of thing, and it causes ill feelings and so on. And so, yes, we, we must not owe someone something to the point where the debt isn't being repaid. But what Paul's truly concerned about here is that this is the I think the supreme debt that we owe to everyone that we love one another and especially believers in Christ. If you can read over in 1 John, we're we're commanded to love one another according to John's writing. Even Jesus said to his disciples that they'll know who you are by they'll know who we are by our love for one another. That's how you're going to be identified in a world So this whole thing that we uh, talk about love, it's, it's a toughie because we have a hard time doing this. But if I'm committed to following Jesus and you are committed to following Jesus, our primary debt then is to love, listen, love our debtors. I want to say in the context here that one of my primary concerns is that not only do I love the people closest to me and the ones I love the most, and I'm around them, and I, uh, they're a part of my life, I love them, surely, I love believers in Christ, that's wonderful, uh, I, I love other people, but uh, if you read this context, you have to also add to this, I also should love then my, my, uh, those who have loaned things to me, those who are above me in terms of uh, who have uh, become the one I've gone to for a debt or for a a desire to to have something that they they can help me with. I've placed myself under them and I believe we're called to love them. Christians should be uh, the best example. Hear me out here. Christians should be the perfect example of someone that you would want to help because you would hopefully say this, that you know that they would want to exemplify Jesus Christ in their borrowing, and in their responsibility. Why? Because they love you as Christ loves you. That that would be a a good deduction that someone could make. Uh, The best person to invest in is a Christian because that Christian loves Christ, wants to live for him, and then they will then best exemplify that love and, and they'll love me in return because I know that Christ loves me. But I want them also to do that. And so that should be something we should consider. I'm saying that because when he goes back to the text here and he says for the commandments and then he goes through these commandments. He's he's showing us the extent. He says, "Okay, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. When he says you shall not, you shall not. That identifies who we are in Christ. We would not want to do that. We do no harm to our neighbor. They're all given there for us. But obviously, in understanding that, then I am someone who is non-threatening. I'm someone who is, uh, is considerate. Uh, I'm someone who loves because Christ has commanded me to love. And so I'm going to express that love to everyone and even to the ones from whom I have borrowed. So guess what? I went to the bank last week and I, I, I am kind to my bank. I, I, got a, I, I blew this royally two days ago. I 'm rebuking myself right now, because I got a call from a visa or mastercard. Somebody called me, and uh, the girl had a horrible cold, so she was while she was trying to talk to me, and I was just in the middle of something, and I 'm like, "This is irritating." So I'm trying to talk to her, but I'm a very impatient person. So as I'm trying to explain to her something on the phone about, I've already made that payment, ma'am, blah, 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 blah. And she just kept, <laughs> so, you know, I just, I just lost it and said, look, I've already done this. Uh, thank you for the call. I must go, <laughs> you know. Well, she doesn't know, well, she does know me. She has my name. Uh, I don't know if she knows what I do, but I hung up and thought, oh, man, I feel so guilty about that phone call. I was very rude to her. And then I, then, I, then I told myself, yeah, but you know what? She was snotty and I didn't want to, I'm not going to call her. I'm not calling her back. I'm not calling her back. It, it's a shame that I did that. I, I just treated her terribly. She was sick. She shouldn't have been on the phone in the first place. She was just sick. So I didn't love her like I should. We all struggle with this. But this is an indictment, I think, against the church that we pick and choose who we love, especially when it comes to the the breadth of Christianity and when it comes to uh, other churches that just don't do things quite like we do, or they, uh, there's just such differences that we sort of could lay out, well, you know, if they lined up here, lined up here, I'll be their friend, I'll listen, you know, and we just have these these problems that we have, and I, I'm just like you, I have a hard time sometimes bridging the gap with people, but I'm supposed to love, and if I can't love you, how could I love someone I don't even know? And, and yet, beyond that, he's just saying here that love, uh, the, the core truth here is that love is in a debt that's never paid. I never will ever fulfill that debt. It's, it's constantly hanging over me. I must love. I must love. And I can love someone today and think, there, I did it. I did it. No, it's just continual and it never stops. And I hope that uh, somehow you would sense as much conviction in your own heart as mine. I just, I just know we all fail at this. And so the challenge for all of us is that you just say, oh, no one, anything except to love. Love one another. Make sure that's happening. I, I do know this, if someone, if someone loves me, they'll forgive me if I, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. There, love obviously forgives, but love also protects. And love is careful how it operates with people. And you would never, ever think that love would do anything to hurt. And so that's when he says, he sums it up in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, he moves, uh, he shifts here. And in verse 16, uh, he adds to this now. He says, uh, and so we're going to move to the next point here. He says, and do this. I, I, I want to mark that down because that's very strong. And, by the way, do this. So he uh, makes this very strong point here. And well, let me read this. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And do this. It's a two-fold statement and do this which statement number 1 is this cast off the works of darkness. This is something we must do. Cast off the works of darkness. The second part of that statement is and put on the armor of light. Two things have to happen here. So we uh, obey government, we love our neighbor and then we will then cast off works of darkness. Anything, what, is, what does that mean? That when you think about darkness Works of darkness. It's anything that would be immoral or evil to be doing or thinking in the presence of God. Anything that would be immoral or evil to be doing or thinking in the presence of God. It's interesting that, you know, sin, sin generally, not in every case, certainly, but generally ramps itself up. In the nighttime, why is that? Sin ramps itself up in the nighttime when we're all alone, or when we're bored, where and when we have no accountability. You know, sin uh, will come along, and these works of darkness that happen to us—they they describe that which we don't ever want anyone to know about, or to see, or to hear, uh, or we foolishly even don't want God to know, which is ridiculous because he does. These works of darkness. So he says, uh, put on the armor of light. And the reason we put on the armor of light is so that we can then function in a glorifying way in the dark. Let me let me take you to Ephesians. You know all this text, Ephesians 6. This is something we all know, have heard... A hundred messages on. Let me just read this through again. Why is it that we still stumble in these areas? Ephesians 6. When he says here to uh, put on the armor of light, we could go back and say, well, Paul's also speaking about what he wrote to the Ephesians. And at verse uh, 11, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's why we get dressed in armor. I don't get dressed in armor to uh, to be in a parade to show off how wonderfully I look today and how, how look at, look at my shiny armor and and parade around in front of everyone like you know I got my armor on today. doesn't it look great that that's not why we put armor on we put armor on for one reason because we must be understanding we're in an immediate battle uh, every day we're in a battle sometimes it seems like it's ramping up sometimes it's It's recoiling back. It's never always the same. But I want to do this because I must be able to stand against the... And then notice that the wiles of the devil means this is never an attack, a direct attack to the front. It's never something that I'm expecting. Uh, These are things that come and sneak into our life that are meant to destroy us. And they always want to hit the weak spot of my life. So I get this armor on. I've got to protect the fragile places in my heart. He says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places." This uh, this battle that rages around us is so much bigger than we understand. And so, what happens is, too often we are busy trying to fight these little battles ourselves. And, you know, we're trying to deal with a, a, a repetitious habit of some kind. We're trying to deal with uh, our, our tongue or our attitude. or uh, we're, we're always fighting some of these things that are sort of quirky things about us that we know aren't good. So we're always putting up fires, trying to battle that way and this way. And we lose focus of the fact that this is so bigger than just that little thing that I think I see. Below the surface is this raging battle against me, and it knows those weak spots. So the evil one and his ambassadors are always going after us where they know we're vulnerable. And so these spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So the battle every day is raging, and it's so easy to leave your home, hear the birds singing, the robins... And we go out and get in our car, start the car, I got a great day coming today, got this and that, got some things on my agenda that I'm going to enjoy today, got somebody I got to see, I'm going to go shopping, you know, whatever it might be that you have in your mind today. And you're you're going into the day kind of like that, and you're completely uh, oblivious to the fact that you're in a supernatural raging battle to destroy you. We just don't have it often enough to understand that. That's why, again, on, on the mornings of our life, when we bow before him and say, Lord, I, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. I can't live this day in my own shoes. I need you. I need you to, uh, to live through me. I want to die to self. I need you to dress me today. I need you to go with me today. Because I know there's a battle out there. I know that the stakes are high and there's a battle. And so he says here, put this armor on. Therefore, he says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. And by the way, you can't just wear parts. You can't just wear certain pieces. And he identifies all seven things that need to be in this armor. I mean, there's really six pieces, but I believe there's a seventh that goes with it. But he says, take up the whole armor of God. And he says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. He doesn't even say you're going to have victory. He's just saying that you might withstand, that you can just, you know, that whatever hits, whatever attacks, you'll still be standing. It doesn't even mean you're the victor over it. It just means you're still standing. You haven't been knocked down. You haven't been destroyed. That you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist whenever well, go girded your waist with truth, put truth into your life, uh, you need the breastplate of righteousness, you need to make sure you 're guarded by the righteousness of God, that uh, your f- f- sins are forgiven as you launch out in your day, uh, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want to just say this: wherever you are led in this day, be able be sure that you are able to go. Uh, you know, if you're uh, if, if you were a tornado ready, like I don't know if you ever think about if, if a tornado was coming. You know, have you ever done this scenario? Do you have in your head what you would do if you had like 30 seconds? Like, do you know what you would do if you had like about 30 seconds? I, I hear the I hear the train coming. I, there's no train around here. Oops, that must be a tornado. You wake up and what do you do? And they all tell you in the uh, you know what to do thing, 30 second thing. Have a pair of shoes nearby. I don't care if you're running outside in your underwear, have a pair of shoes. Because what happens is if you're running over things that are falling down on the ground, stones that are kicked up, glass, all that kind of stuff, you'll tend to stop and, not, and attend to yourself because it hurts, and that's when you'll get hammered. Now, you've got to be able to run. You've got to be able to move. And it, it might sound silly, but he, when he says put on the gospel of peace, what he's saying is be ready. Be ready for it when these storms come so that you know exactly what to do and what to say. The uh, gospel of peace, the preparation, he says, with preparation of the gospel of peace, get yourself ready. Above all, the shield of faith. So you need the shield that's going to quench those darts that come. You're going to, you need the helmet of salvation because they always want to go for the head. If they can stop you in your salvation, if uh, that which you claim you believe, that you hang on to and clutch onto those truths, you need a helmet to guard you from that. You need a sword of the spirit because you're not only deflecting; sometimes you have to thrust. There's six. There's six aspects of a of an outfit that you need to wear. But then, verse 18 says, "Praying always." That armor isn't going to do a whole lot if you haven't prayed. And sometimes the enemy has armor on as well. And our prayer becomes our greatest weapon when we're wearing armor. Just to say all that, I'm just going back and saying, as we understand this idea of putting on the armor of light, uh, that's the idea. And what I want you to go back to in our text is, is to note this. This may be the most important thing I'm going to say all morning, is to note the urgency of this. This this should catch you this morning. Note the urgency in the scripture here. Going back to uh, verse 11 and 12, I want you to see this. When he says, and do this, then he says, first of all, knowing the time. You know, so, you know, uh, I I usually check my watch. Uh, I want to know what time frame I'm in. When I'm sitting at my desk, I have a clock right in front of me. I have a clock on my computer. I have a clock on my wall. Uh, I have two clocks set five minutes faster than they're supposed to be. So just in case I just need to squeeze out something else in my mind, I think that helps me. It really doesn't. But I have them five minutes fast. In my mind, I think that clock's five minutes fast, but it isn't. So sorry. (laughs) Sorry. You know, we, 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 uh, But notice what he says here, knowing the time. So I make myself aware of the general time. Okay, I've got, I've got 45 minutes left to get this job done, and then I have to make a move because I'm going to this place. It's going to take me 20 minutes to get there, and I've got to be there by a certain time. So, you know, you, we do that. So knowing the time. All right, I'm aware of the time. Then he says that now, mark these down, that now it is high time. High time means let's get going right now. Uh, it might even mean I'm almost late. Boom. High time. Take note of the time. Oh, by the way, it's high time. That means there is no more time. Then he says this. High time for what? To awake out of sleep. How many of you have ever been late for a job? How many of you have ever been late for a job? Come on, confess, 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 confess. You've been late for a job. How many of you ever got docked some money for being late for a job? Mm, 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 few of you way to confess god will bless you for confessing <laughs> it's high time to awake out of sleep and you know when you have slept in and you are having a great dream and suddenly you just something wakes you up and your eyes go just immediately from from you know from half open to wide open and you look at that clock and you know and you run like crazy He's saying here, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. In my my sarcastic days, I would read this and say, well, of course it is. (laughs) If you just pause and think about it, every day I'm nearer, and I would go, duh, to the Bible. I'm just telling you how I used to think. Today, at my age and the speed of life... This means a whole lot different to me now. We're there. He's about to return. We're in last days. The clock is ticking. The world is affected by sin to the point that it's saturated to the brim. And I believe he's coming soon. Yes, we're still going to do missions. Yes, we're still going to witness to friends. Yes, we're going to believe that we have time to do that in his grace. We extend ourselves to do that. But he's saying it's high time. And in, even in saying that, I've got to remind myself that my high time and your high time may not be the same. Because somebody in here, under the word high time, means you aren't going to be here next year. That's just a fact. High time. It means we must understand this. For now our salvation is nearer. Verse 12. The night is far spent. You know what he's saying there? The time for lazy, self-centered, casual, uh, intentional, sinful moments are far spent. In In the context of this whole thinking, this is what he's talking about. It's the opposite of light. He's just saying the darkness is far spent. You don't have much more time to pull this off before he comes back and holds you accountable. There are some of you in our church that I love very dearly, and I know that you have sin controlling your life. I know you do. I pray about that on your behalf. But you know what? I'm just going to tell you that when you read these words in the Bible, it ought to strike at your heart that time is near. Time is spent. The night is almost gone. Playtime is about over. I need to say that. And then he says here, the day... The day is at hand. He's talking about many things here, but the day is at hand, meaning Jesus Christ is coming. We could say that. The day of reckoning, we could say that. The day of judgment, we could say that. Uh, The day of our redemption, we can say that. All kinds of things are wrapped up in that word day. But the point is that the night is about over. So what does he say in verse 13? So let us walk properly in light of this. Let us walk properly. This urgency that he's talking about here. And I wonder, do all of us here this morning sense the seriousness of the times that we live in? I know your parents, uh, I know that you worry about raising your kids in a day like this. I know that it's on your mind. It's on my mind as a grandparent. But we can't shape this world. This world wants to shape us. We must realize that we're in a battle and we are just on the end of the days. And Paul is just reminding Christians, just hang in there. Stay faithful uh, because the day is approaching and obviously the night is far spent. This this whole thing we live in right now is just about over. Verse 17. Sorry, number 17, verse 13. Got my numbers wrong. Number 17 is verse 13. He says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in, we list some things here, revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, not in strife, not in envy. And these are, uh, these are basically uh, what is improper when we talk about proper walking. Years ago, I, uh, we had an upstairs that all of us kids coveted because it was sort of like the oldest gets the upstairs first. So my sister being the oldest in my house, five years older than, my, than me, and my brother was three years older than me. And so Sherry got the upstairs first. She's the queen of the house. It's a big upstairs. It's a big open room. It's a wonderful place to have friends and crazy. The b- beds were in the walls. You'd, you'd open a door and pull the beds out and sliders and jump in the bed. We just thought it was wonderful, you know. And Sherry was up there for her realm in her junior and senior year, you know, the queen of the house. And I would sneak up there every so often. I'd sneak up the stairs, because I knew she'd be there, and on sn- Saturday morning, I'd sneak up the stairs, and I would catch Sherry, this is in her senior year, I'd catch her pacing back and forth with a book on her head. Just pacing back and forth. Music's playing, and she's just pacing back and forth. And I'm like, you know, I- I'm like the bratty little brother. and like, what are you doing? She's like in her snooty way, I'm preparing to be a stewardess. (laughs) And I'd I'd say to her, I've never yet seen a stewardess walk around with a book on her head. (laughs) And then she would chase me downstairs and say, get out of here, and shut the door and go back to her walking, whatever she was doing. She never was a stewardess. And uh, somehow she put that to rest. But walking properly is critical for certain things. I don't know about being a stewardess, but it's critical in our lives. And when he says these words, okay, not in revelry. Now, these are umbrella words. These are big words. So what does revelry mean? It means rebelliousness against goodness. It means rebelliousness rebelliousness against righteousness. Rebelliousness against reverence. That's what it means. Not in revelry. Uh, Not in drunkenness. I know what you're thinking, but it just means out of one's mind. Uh, Out of control doesn't mean just one thing. It's anything that takes you out of the mind of your control. Lewdness. Lewdness is is a, a wretched thought. It's filthy thoughts and actions and communication. It's base, what we call base gestures, obscene and vulgar. The word lust it's really, it's out-of-control cravings. Uh, generally, we think it's about sexual appetites, but listen, lust can be about many things. Lust for power, lust for attention, and yes, lust for food. It can be anything that's controlling us and dictating our minds and calling us to appease ourselves, to, to satisfy the flesh. When it's out of control like that, when it's cravings that are just beyond control. Strife and envy, these are things that work in our lives to cause division and, and, and create this, this horrible feeling in people's hearts and lives as we uh, separate and, and hurt and, uh, and uh, through jealousies and through all kinds of arguments and so on. And if that's, any of these things are true of you, he just say these are things by which we do not walk properly. So he says, uh, in, in light of that, we walk properly how? We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14. It's interesting that Paul ends this section, before he gets to chapter 14, he ends this section at verse 14 by reflecting back to the very thing I've been saying, to Romans 12, 1, because that's what he's saying. When he says, but we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about dying to ourselves as a living sacrifice, allowing him to live through us. He takes us right back to the beginning. Of all these precepts. And he says. And and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. To fulfill its lusts. In other words. He's saying. Do not hold certain things. That you know. Should be off limits to God. Don't hold them. In reserve. For that. Just in case. Moment, Are you listening? Some of you, listen up. You know, we, we, uh, we do this in many different ways. Someone here might hide a fifth of scotch somewhere, just in case. Someone says, I'm going to reserve a six-pack somewhere, just in case. In case someone says, I want to keep a pack of smokes nearby, just in case. Somebody says, Are there certain drugs that I I want to save just for that moment when I I don't feel like I can fight off the urge anymore? Just in case. I want to keep certain websites uh, in my private file, just in case. I want to keep someone's phone number that I know I'm not supposed to have, just in case. So, when he says here, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, he's talking about me hiding my candy bars from my wife, just in case. <laughs> I actually went to Dutch Valley the other day and bought some cookies, just in case. And I ate them because the just in case wasn't working too well. <laughs> Here's the thing. Don't try to take up your cross and follow Jesus while also holding on to things that could never please him just in case. And it's tough for us because we all have something that we just don't want to let go of too much. We want to try, we, we, we feel like we fail in certain areas, so we, we, we pray about those things, but we just keep in reserve, just sort of a place to go, just in case it, I can't handle it. And Jesus Christ is saying to us, Paul is saying to us through him, he's just saying, don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. There are Unique spiritual distinctives. we've gone through all of these now, governing precepts, I have called them, that separate believers from everyone else by which we live our Christian lives, hopefully, and by which they are governed. And can I just close with this thought? The genuineness of my faith and your faith, our genuineness, is going to be measured by how we interact with God and with others, through these guiding precepts. This is who we are. The more we get to know Christ, the more we reflect these things. It's a process. I'm not saying we're all there. None of us in this room are all there, but we are in a process of trying to allow these things to identify and describe who we are, so that when people see us, somehow they get a reflection of these things and see that Even if I don't believe in Jesus Christ, I see these people living for him. And we become a living testimony to people that this is who we follow. This is who we are. And that's what's going to keep this church unified down through the years as some of us come and go. And I pray that you'll stay faithful to these things, endeavor to be like them. When you sin, confess it, get right with him, get back on track, and live these things out as he's called us to do. Can we do that? Let's stand together, though, as we pray. Can we do that? Lord, uh, thank you that you are our great Lord and Savior. Uh, week by week, we come here and we meet together as believers. Lord, we see many folks coming and going, uh, visiting, in and out, some traveling, others searching. And as we uh, invest ourselves on in this journey together, it is Such a blessing and privilege to be a part of the body of Christ here. I thank you for your guiding principles and word that gives us direction and hope. Enables us to know what you expect from us and how to live and also shows us how much grace you extend to us when we fail. Help us to exhibit that in our lives with each other, to love each other, but also to have broad shoulders to hold each other up to be people of prayer because we care about each other and certainly about you. I ask you to help us when we fail just to lift us up, forgive us. May we have your mercy expressed over our lives. Lord, today for whoever is sick that cannot be here, may you touch their bodies and remind them of your presence today. Uh, Go with us in your spirit today and remind us of these things. Help us to be good citizens But, Lord, help us most of all to owe no one anything more than than to love them through Jesus Christ. Help us to walk right. We just commit all these things to you and ask your blessing. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for resurrection. Be with each of us as we ponder these things and as we come together Friday night. We just ask your blessing. And I give it all to you now in Christ's precious name. Amen.